And that a beautiful message and song, and it is so true. You put your faith and trust in Christ, He'll do some great, great things for you. Now, I want everybody to be seated, please. I don't want anyone moving around these next few moments. I'm going to declare the word of the Lord and invite people to trust Christ, and any unnecessary movement distracts people from the message that might change the life of someone listening. So no moving around, no talking. We listen to the Word of God. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have fallen in love? May I see your hand? I'm... Good. It's okay to raise your hand on that. You want a second chance? Some of you are a little nervous, but can I, can I say that? I mean, is it all right to say you've fallen in love? Yep. Raise your hand. Uh, when you fell in love in this human love, this human relationship... Do you remember it? Sure you do. You just raised your hand. It was a conscious experience. Something happened. And it expressed itself in a lot of different ways. Some people fall in love instantly. Zap! There it is. Pow! Love at first sight. Any of you fall in love like that? They want to? Yeah, good, good. I see two 10-year-old boys back here raising their hands. <laughs> that's okay, right. That's real, friends. Say, oh, it's puppy love. Well, it's real to the puppy. Let the puppy enjoy that real, that real love. So uh, some people fall in love like that. Other people go together and break up, go together and break up, go together and break up. How many of you have that kind of experience? Yep. Some people know each other all their life. They're friends and then they find out, hey, there's more than this more than friendship. I mean, man, this is wonderful. This is special. How many of you fell in love like that? Number of How'd the rest of you do it? I'd like to know. <laughs> I can't think of it those three ways, but uh, may, I'm sure there are many others. Suddenly or progressively or whatever, it doesn't make any difference if it happened to you. That's the important thing that it happened to you. I was walking across the campus of Baylor University when I was a senior. And I was there with one of my roommates. Three of us lived together. Three males. Three of us lived together. And this day, you've got to be very clear about everything. <laughs> Three males living together in the garage apartment. We really should have parked the car in the apartment and lived in the garage. The garage was better than the apartment. But you had to get in the car upstairs, and that was hard to do. So we lived in this garage apartment. And we're good friends and are to this day. We're walking across the campus of Baylor, and it was the custom and tradition there, and still is, to speak to everybody. You're not being a forward or anything to, to go ahead and say hello to everybody. Everybody speaks to people, even if they have never met them or don't know them. So my friend and I are walking across the campus between class and kind of talking, and, and people walking by, and girls and guys walking along and saying hi, hello, you know, speaking to them. And all of a sudden, he just went, huh! I thought, oh, I've lost my friend. He's had a heart attack, a stroke, and I looked over and grabbed him. His eyes were dilated. His mouth was hanging open. He was trying to form words. He said, did you see that? I said, did I see what? That girl. I said, yes, I saw her. Good-looking girl. Beautiful girl. If it bothers you that a preacher notices a good-looking girl, you're just going to have to get bothered. That's all there is to it. <laughs> and the best thing you do is just get over it. Okay? Because <laughs> I don't want to get over that. 
When the Lord called me to preach, it didn't gouge my eyes out. I can still see, you know. So here he was, hanging there in my arms, you know, about to faint, fall out. He said, find out her name. I'm in love with her. Well, I ran over and I did. I found out her name, and he was in love with her. I mean, I, you say, well, it couldn't have been. It couldn't have happened like that. They got married. It was marvelous. You say, well, that couldn't be real. It had, he had to, no, listen. Something had been working in his mind and maybe in hers for a long time, and suddenly some things clicked. Just like a clock. When the clock strikes, that's not the first time it started to work. You see, that clock's been working quietly, and, and, and unless you got up real close and listened to it, you wouldn't even know something was going on inside of that until it struck the hour. And it's the same way in your life. A lot's been going on in your life. A lot has been going on back there in the private works of your heart by the Master Himself, Jesus Christ. And when the chimes strike, then you recognize it, then you acknowledge it, but it's been in the process a long time. And this morning, let those chimes strike if they're about to in your life. They did at 9.30 in the lives of two adults. They came to this service. Neither one of them Christians. Both walked down that aisle unknown to each other. Both of them came, one sitting with Perry Yeager, and said, I'm nervous, but I need to trust Christ. Will you walk down with me? And a young scientific researcher out at uh, the Health Science Center came forward saying, and I met him there at the aisle, and I introduced myself, and he told me his name, and I said, Jeff, what decision are you making? He said, I've accepted Christ as my Savior this morning. The clock struck. And the same thing can happen in your life and in mine. It can happen instantly. That's not the only way it happens. The Lord's been working in some of your lives for a long, long time. Over a, over a period of time. You've been going together. And you break up. You make, you, you make a start. You start reading the Bible. Maybe you start going to church. You start doing this, praying, whatever it might be. And then something happens and you get upset with yourself or you get angry with God or some church or some Christian hurts you and you say, well, there's nothing to it. And you try to erase it and put it out of your mind and out of your heart, but it won't erase and it won't leave your heart. And there's that attraction there and you kind of get back in touch with each other. And crisis, reinstating a relationship. Crisis, break up, renew. This morning, that crisis can reach critical mass. It can come to a special time in your life and you can say, Lord, I do love you. I do love you. There is no doubt in my mind any longer. I do love you. Or some of you have known about Christ all of your life. Like I. I can't remember the day when I, when I did not know about Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home. I've, I've never known Jesus to be anything but a friend to me. I was not like the Apostle Paul where I'd killed Christians and cursed God, where I'd opposed the work of the Lord. I've always thought of Jesus as my friend. My parents taught me that he loved me. They taught me to sing it in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Not only did the Bible tell me so, my folks told me so, and my church told me so, and Sunday school teachers told me so, not just in what they said, but in what they did. So I've never considered myself an enemy of Jesus, but I do remember the day when I realized that Jesus wanted to be more than just my friend, and I wanted, wanted him to be more than my friend. And I said, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. And it wasn't a big emotional moment for me. I mean, the stars didn't fall from heaven. The earth didn't shake. The thunder didn't roll. But it was changed in my life. So, listen, 
Do not judge. Oh, and this is very important. Please remember this. Do not judge the validity of one's personal experience with Christ on the basis of the circumstances under which it takes place. Do not judge the validity of someone's experience with Christ on the basis of how emotional it is, how dramatic it is, how cataclysmic it is. Some people by nature are much more volcanic and they have a more explosive kind of personality and thereby a more explosive kind of experience. That doesn't make the experience any more valid than the nine or 10 year old child who says, I want to trust Christ as my personal savior and follow him and know him for myself more than a friend now as my Lord and as my savior. The important thing, my friend, is that you meet Christ. That's the important. The circumstances are secondary that you meet him. And I believe this. When you trust Christ, you know it. Now, when I asked you a moment ago if you'd ever fall in love, fallen in love, you knew it. When you ever really fall in love with Jesus Christ, it's a conscious experience. Now, your parents' love for Christ won't work for you. It will help you and encourage you and be an example to you, but it cannot be a proxy experience for you. Your parents cannot love Christ for you. Your pastor cannot love Christ for you. Your priest cannot love Christ for you. Your church cannot love Christ for you. You must taste him and know him for yourself. And you can. You can do that right here, right now. And when you taste him, you'll know it. You knew when you fell in love. You tasted Christ. Peter writes about it in 1 Peter, 2nd chapter. First verse and following, I quote from the King James, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, here it comes, if, that's the subject of this message this morning, if the gospel's big little word, that great determining factor, that fulcrum, that watershed, if so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If one little word, two letters, one syllable, but it speaks volumes. If you've tasted of the grace and the love of God, you know it. Now, let me quickly add, some of you, through no fault of your own and through no fault of others consciously, but some of us, some of you in this room have grown up on a message of the Lord that is not graceful. You were taught that his message was primarily judgment. I tell you what will change your life. It is not the realization of the judgment of God. What will change your heart and change the way you see yourself and the way you see other people is when you realize and taste that the Lord is gracious, full of grace, full of mercy, full of love, full of forgiveness. When you meet a God like that, he will change your life. You say, well, what about judgment? Isn't God a God of judgment? Isn't there judgment involved in rejecting Christ? Oh, yes, but let me try to explain that. The judgment involved in rejecting Christ is the judgment of rejecting Christ. I'm not speaking in riddles. If you miss knowing the grace and the love and the forgiveness and the peace of God, if you, by a willful rejection of his love for you, miss his love, What's the judgment? It's missing his love. The consequences of not knowing a God of love. You see, unbelief, resistance, carries within it the seeds of its own destruction. 
Let me try to illustrate it. Do you like bluebell ice cream? Do, do you? Can you? Well, maybe you're Hagen Doss, maybe you're Baskin Robbins, but bluebell. Let's stick with bluebell. How many of you like bluebell ice cream? You, okay. Look at this. Man, unanimous. Do you remember eating bluebell ice cream? Sure you do. You've tasted it. And because you've tasted it, you remember it. When you've tasted something good, you remember it. When you've tasted that the Lord is good, you remember it. You tasted it. That bluebell ice cream. I can taste it now. Some of you are getting up already to go to lunch. Now, I shouldn't have gotten, I shouldn't have talked about food. I'm going to move along in a hurry and let you get there. Now, if you don't eat bluebell ice cream, if you refuse to eat bluebell ice cream, does Mr. Bluebell come along and say, I'm going to make you eat liver and okra because you didn't eat bluebell ice cream. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to judge you because you refused to eat my delectable bluebell ice cream. Does Mr. Bluebell do that? No. What do you miss if you don't eat bluebell ice cream? You miss the ice cream. What do you miss if you miss Jesus Christ? You miss Jesus Christ. That's the great judgment. The consequences that we pull in upon ourselves by our refusal to accept a Lord who is loving and gracious and forgiving. Yeah, I get excited about that because I want you to know that. I want you to know it because of the difference it will make in your life and in your relationships to know that the Lord is gracious. There's a false philosophy that goes around that says what you have not experienced, you have not missed. I say that's a false philosophy. What you have not experienced, you have not missed. You've never experienced a sunrise at the coast. You've never experienced a sunset in the mountains. You've never experienced the loving look of a little child. You've never experienced the love of a mother and father, friend, husband, wife. Man, you've missed something. You've missed something. You've never experienced the love of God. You've missed something. Simon Peter nearly missed it himself because, you know, he was so hooked on promises and performance. He was a good Jew. Don't blame him. If we'd have been in his day, we'd have been walking in his sandals. We would have acted just like he did. We don't need to compliment ourselves. We'd have been just like Simon. He made all these promises to the Lord. He tried to do all of these things. Even went to fight for him, cut a guy's ear off, trying to defend Jesus. And then he came to see out there beside the Sea of Galilee early that morning. After he'd finally given up, he saw, my promises just don't hold any water. They don't work. I'll go right back into the same old ruts. I can't seem to change my behavior. I'm still full, as he wrote here, full of malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and evil speakings. I mean, I've got all this trash in my life and I can't get rid of it. And I've promised the Lord I'd never deny him. I've tried to do all of these things for him and still my life keeps cratering. What's wrong? Simon, do you love me? That's the issue, Simon. It's not promises and performance. There beside the Sea of Galilee, after Simon had given up, gone back to the boats, read about it in the 21st chapter of John, 
Jesus came to him, and Simon, as you know, if you don't, let me tell you, Simon had denied the Lord three times. The third time he had cursed the Lord, just so everybody wouldn't have any doubt in their mind that he didn't have anything to do with Jesus. Three times he denied the Lord. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Punctuated with profanity. I don't know him. And so here beside the Sea of Galilee, a few days later, after his resurrection, Jesus is meeting with Simon, who'd given up and quit because his promises and performances had not produced any change in his life. And what did Jesus ask him? What did Jesus ask him? First, what didn't he ask him? Think of all the things Jesus didn't ask Simon. He didn't say, Simon, look at me. You promise, you promise never to deny me again. I mean, cross your heart, hope to die kind of promise. Simon, do you promise never to curse again? I mean, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. You promise never to curse again? Simon, Simon, do you believe that Adam and Eve were real people or that they were maybe just some uh, figurative individuals? Simon, do you believe the world was created in six literal days, 24 hours apiece? Or do you believe in six days of 20 million years apiece? Simon, do you believe that Jonah was a real historical figure or uh, maybe that's a parable telling a greater truth than even the story can convey? Did you ask him that? Did he say, Simon, what do you believe about the millennium? If you don't know what the millennium is, don't get real agitated about it and don't get upset because there's so many different kinds. You can just spend your life trying to figure out what everybody believes about it. Did Jesus say, Simon, are you pre, post, or millennial? And Simon, if you're pre, or do you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture? Sub-point among some point, sub-point, sub-point, sub-point. Simon, do you believe in form criticism and textual criticism? Simon, what do you believe about Robert Bork's confirmation for the uh, Supreme Court? What do you believe about aid to the Contras? What about uh, tax credits for private schools? What about Star Wars and the B-1 bomber and aid to Israel? What do you believe about those? He didn't ask him any of those things. You say, those are, those are important things. You, you're right. They are important. They are important. And I have opinions about all of them. My opinion, I read, I think, I listen. I form opinions about all of those. So do you. And you may have a different opinion than I have about some of those things. You may have a different opinion from some people in this room. You may be pro-choice, pro-life. You say, well, wait a minute, those things are important. They are important. But you and I can be right in all of our opinions and still be wrong in our spirit, and it's a matter of the spirit, for the question is not what do you believe about all of these attendant matters, but Simon, do you love me? There's the issue. Do you love me? And if I love Simon... If I love Jesus, I can love Simon even if he and I disagree about the Roman Empire and its part in the missionary message of Jesus Christ. If I love Jesus and you love Jesus, we may have different opinions about many 
contemporary issues, but the Christ in me reaches out to the Christ in you, and it is the love of Christ that makes us brothers, for it is not Jesus and another opinion that makes us Christians. It is Jesus and Jesus alone, period, exclamation mark. Christ alone, he is not God's down payment on our salvation and we pay out the balance by attaining the right attitudes and aligning ourselves with the right parties and groups. Jesus Christ does it all, A to Z, Alpha to Omega. Simon, do you love me? And if you love me, watch me begin to push malice out of your heart and guile and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking. Watch me begin to change your life. Why? Because of love. Because of love. I read again what I read earlier from the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, which is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Simon... Buckner, whoever you are, if you love me, help other people. That's what he said. Feed my sheep. Help my sheep. Feed my lambs. He uses four different words. Feed, help, sheep, lambs. You know what he's saying? Do everything you can for everybody. Young and old. Black sheep, white sheep, good sheep, bad sheep. Feed them and care for them. If you love me. Now, if you just want to argue, argue. But if you love me, feed the sheep. If you want to debate, do it. But I'm interested in your loving people. Because the way we're going to change the world, Simon, is not with swords and spears, but plowshares. Pruning hooks with love translated into helping, caring, sharing, feeding other people. That's his word. Love. And it's to you. And it's to me. Do you love him? Say yes. And if you love him, say yes publicly. And if you love him, join hands with other people who also love him, maybe in a different way and have come from a different background, but they love him. And let's join hands and love the whole world into Jesus Christ. I want to be right here to greet you. You feel God leading you to be a part of this church? That's God leading you. It's not Buckner and it's not a sermon. No one's played with anyone's emotions. There have been no sad stories told. Just a great story of love and of grace. Taste that the Lord is gracious. And come join a church that wants to preach it and practice it and live it and love it for Jesus' sake. Just as I am, I come. Why don't you?